Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. The owner of the vineyard said, friend, I'm being fair to you. You agreed to work for one coin, so take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same pay that I gave you. I can do what I want with my own money. Are you jealous because I am good to these people? Matthew 20, verses 13 to 15. This parable can be taught in lots of ways, and I found a few opportunities during homeschooling to talk about being fair, a big concern for children. Many Jews were jealous when Jesus spoke to the Gentiles. They had been following their one God for thousands of years, and now here was Jesus saying that salvation was for everyone, even those who were coming into the game late. That would be you and me, unless you're a Messianic Jew, of course. When my children complained that I was, and still am, being unfair, out comes this story. Because in reality, some of our children do need us a little more than others, sometimes. And they get a little bit jealous of how I make my decisions and minister to those who, in their eyes, don't deserve it. I become the owner of the vineyard and say, well, wouldn't you want me to act kindly towards you too if you were in that situation? I remind them that we should rejoice that God keeps nudging us and tapping our shoulders until we remember who created us. Through others, he reminds us of his presence. No matter how long we dally before accepting his gift or how much time we waste while getting on with our life first, we're his And he has saved a place for all of us. And he wants you and me there. I have to admit, I used to think it unfair of God. Unfair of God, listen to me, to extend salvation and eternity to the sinner on his deathbed. Give her the same rewards that I am getting for being faithful my whole life. God owns all of us, so why quibble about what he does with what is his? Don't make comparisons. (laughs) Hello there. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNinney, and I'm here to dispel any preconceived ideas you may have about educating your children and what it looks like at home. It can be straightforward school or no school at all. It can involve world travel or a comfy seat on the couch. It can be in pursuit of passions or simply hanging out on a tree in a tree. Homeschooling can be embarked upon for a number of reasons too. Physically challenged children or parents, the threat of bullies and overwhelming peer pressure, a particularly brilliant child who's bored in kindergarten, maybe a conflict in religious values or a desire for the family closeness missing in your upbringing. For me, it's a lifestyle that suits the maverick lurking within. I wanted to be the one who saw the light bulbs go on. I wanted to be there at turning points in my children's lives. I didn't want to hand them over to folk who are not their mother, and I wanted to make my own decisions about how to to raise my children. On my show, I've spoken to a wide range of homeschooling mothers, fathers, and graduates who found education opportunities in whatever they're doing, and they thrive. I've moved in and out of my comfort zones. God and children will do that. I've gained maturity, wisdom, and experience, and I'm here to share it with you. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, 
always busy and sometimes a roller coaster. But for me, it starts and ends with God. The beauty of a brilliant church choir, mild weather to greet us on our return to Texas, crickets drowning out the traffic on my evening walk, bacon cooking in the dining room of our hotel, and being able to visit some of our children whenever we feel like it. If you pop by, I'll offer you a cup of coffee and some chocolate biscuits to thank you for staying. I'm broadcasting this afternoon from Richardson, Texas, at my friend's house. And after the first break, I'm going to be talking to Ree Berg about the child, about children's literature and how it can change all our lives. Ree Berg is a writer, speaker, and homeschooler who has a lot to offer about making connections to our lives today through history and good books. So stay tuned. She'll be with us after my first break. So I'm all set. Grab whatever it is you're drinking. Let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNinnies, where writing shapes my days. We're still fielding house-sitting requests, catching up with our children and friends, and we're planning a trip to L.A. So are you ready? Uh, well, we were over at my son and his wife's this week to collect eggs. Remember, they're the ones with the birds, and they have four chickens, and they're laying at least one egg each a day. And while I was over there, I picked up three. We came home with 13 and then realized we didn't have an egg carton to keep them in, so they're sitting on one of the wire shelves in the fridge, little brown and white eggs. Such a treat. He also gave us some pastry dough made from a 200-year-old recipe from a pie shop in England. I thought, hang on a minute, pastries, flour, lard and water. Surely it's been going on for more than 200 years. He told me it was hot water pastry, the kind where you melt the fat in the hot water before adding it to the flour. And that's how my mother used to make pastry when she wasn't making her melt-in-the-mouth very short pastry that could hardly be handled. The hot water pastry can be kneaded and pushed around a bit, which is perfect for me because I'm a little heavy-handed. I'm going to make a creamy chicken and mushroom pie tonight, so we'll see how it turns out. And their birds are doing really well. Uh, They now have two birds of prey, a screech owl that weighs a quarter of a pound. I kid you not, it's no bigger than a canary. It's so pretty. His name is Pigwidgeon, and he sits on his perch and looks at me with one eye closed. My son says that's his look. They had a barred owl, but it wasn't very well adapted. They're supposed to be imprinted, meaning that they're comfortable around humans, but this one wasn't. So after a week, they gave it back to the rehab center, and the rehab center actually released it into the wild, and they brought home a beautiful hawk. Wow, I've never seen a hawk that close. They named her Safira, and she weighs about three and a half pounds, but she's massive. She looks as though she should weigh much more than that, but she doesn't. They have licenses and permits for these national birds and can now take them into schools and public places for educational purposes once they're comfortable being handled. So that's exciting news. And uh, we invited some friends over for dinner at the hotel. Yes, Dort said to me, you had people round to your hotel for dinner? And I said, yep, well, in our room, not in the dining room. That was odd because we have no serving dishes. But we did have champagne glasses, so we had bubbly. Um, they're leaving to live full-time in their log home that they've been building over the last seven years in the mountains of New Mexico. So this was a last chance to see them for a while. This empty nest lark is giving us all new wings. I made a lovely chunky guacamole and we bought Chinese takeaway, which was 
delicious. Dawes thought that was an odd combination, Mexican and Chinese, but it worked. My friend was writing poetry for librarians and I gave her some pointers and she introduced me to her contacts. So perhaps after all these years of writing, I may be able to start selling it and making some money off it, especially poetry, which I love. And talking about writing, last week I mentioned how immersed I was in word discovery while we were in Florida and I was working on my memoir. I'd sit at my desk looking out at the trees, the avocado tree straight outside my window and stare off into space, losing myself inside my head. Writers claim that their protagonists show up on the page unexpectedly about this time and run with their ideas, taking over the story, leading it in a completely different direction. Well, I'm writing a memoir, so my protagonists have already had their life and they don't have a chance to do it over again. So reaction and feelings are painted by words and it took their place on the page. I'd come up with an easy to access word like love and then I found that I'd overused it seven times in one essay. I had to come up with six replacements. My common sense asked me, are there six alternative words for love? Well, of course there are. Do I have them easily accessible at the forefront of my mind? No, not at all. So I turned to a useful shortcut and search tool I'd learned at my final Apple tutorial from the yawning, rather bored employee and used the online thesaurus conveniently a keystroke away. But what happens when a word pops into my head that kind of sort of expresses what I feel, only there has to be a better, more accurate word? Or worse, how do I even find the word I know is out there, but I have no idea what it is? Where do I start when I want to write something that expresses a feeling of wanting to do something only in my heart I know I shouldn't kind of emotion, for example. A word must exist in the English language, only I'm clueless as to what it is. So I decide to start with an easy word in the phrase, want, and I type it into my handy word finder and get marvellous synonyms like crave, hanker after, desire, cry out for. So I click on hanker and take its winding trails through words such as lust, crave, eager, desire. And I choose the word desire because it's shown up on both lists and I find yearns for for, impulse, longs for. Impulse brings me to temptation. And my heart begins to race and I find myself among a sea of words including appeal, allure, attraction and enticement, which turns out to be the absolutely spot on word for what I need. And to reassure myself that it is a perfect fit, I check its definition using the same research tool only in the dictionary portion. And here's what I find. Enticement something used to attract or tempt someone, allure. And I compare it to the initial feeling that led to this brilliant word. Wanting to do something only in my heart, I know I shouldn't. Being enticed into something. So enticement becomes the red crayon in my verbal coloring box that will help to shoulder the burden I'm placing on my sentence to paint that perfect picture. And this is how I've released so many words in my brain lost in a cobwebby corner at the back somewhere and coaxed it from its slumber. My Texan says I think too much and just to call a spade a spade. 
And um, on the house sitting front, someone with a house in Minnesota wants us to go spend the winter there as if the forbidding weather isn't enough. She promised me the house was warm as well as the garage. She has an indoor sauna and the snowplow comes twice a week. Wow. She said she's taking her cats, boarding two of her horses. The others are on 16 acres and they're fine on their own, apparently 24-7. Then she asked us to contribute to the utilities and Wi-Fi, etc. And that's when we said, no. We don't want to be taken as wimps. Well, now, if a house came up in Hawaii or Spain, we'd consider it. But Minnesota may as well go to Canada for the winter. Might as well stay in Texas. And with that, it looks as though it's time for me to go on my first break. So you're listening to The Sociable Homeschool on Toginet Radio. And when I return, I'll have this week's guest with me, Reberg, founder of Beautiful Feet Books. And she, she looks for classical children's literature. So go get a drink and come back after this break. And um, Rhea and I will be talking about uh, the same kinds of things that we talked about last week, but with a slightly different angle, not quite so Charlotte Masony and narrate So come back. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Goals, objectives, business and action plans. How important are they for me to manage? Whether you're an executive, entrepreneur, or maybe you're just someone looking to advance your career and want to be confidently prepared for your future, Business and life coach Carmen Carosa can help you remove obstacles and move forward in the right direction. Carmen is known as the real world coach for a reason. His no-nonsense style along with an innate ability to form connections with people gives you a unique opportunity to see higher and further than ever before. We live and work in an ever-changing complicated world that can leave us with questions about every decision we make. Join host Carmen Carosa, business and life coach, on Forward Motion. Every Monday at 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, you will realize dreams and aspirations you thought were out of reach. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins Presents Beautiful Business Radio where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. 
Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Joining me this week, I'm thrilled to have Ree Berg, who founded Beautiful Feet Books in 1984 to provide quality literature to the homeschooling market. Ree holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in English from Simmons College and in 2006 earned a Master's degree in Children's Literature at the Center for the Study of Children's Literature in Boston, where she was named a Virginia Haviland Scholar. Ree has been part of the homeschooling community for 25 years, particularly in the Charlotte Mason and Classical approach. She speaks around the country on the joy of discovering history through literature and has written numerous guides on this topic, which have garnered acclaim in the home education community. Through Beautiful Feet Books, she and her husband Russell have brought back into print many classic works of children's literature. Ree is a regular contributor to the Old Schoolhouse magazine with articles focusing on literature-based history studies, Charlotte Mason education, and children's literature. She also enjoys organic gardening, travel to historic sites, especially Paris, dance, and yoga. One of her favorite pastimes is discovering classic children's books in old bookshops. Ree, welcome to my show this afternoon. Good morning, Vivian. I'm delighted to be here. How are you doing? I'm good, and it's Rhea. Oh, Rhea. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Don't worry. Yeah, Don't that's worry. That's all right. Okay. I'm just, just delighted when you say literature. It's just... <laughs> Such a much better word than literature. <laughs> I know. I know. I went, I went back to England for a couple of um, years, these past years, and it was so nice to be able to go into a shop and say, I'm looking for some batteries, and people not look at me and go, what do you want? And they, they're saying the same word back at me just normally, you know, and I'm going, oh, this is home. You know? Just don't forget. Well, that's delightful. All right, Ria, tell us about your company, Beautiful Feet, and how you came to found it, because you founded it in 1984, which is quite a, quite a while ago, so you must have had, yeah. you know, young children or, or um, you know, a reason to do that. So tell us why you did that. Yes, you're exactly right. I did have young children, and now it sort of amazes me that I did that. It seems rather crazy, but yes. I, I was sort of the classic um, microeconomic development. I borrowed $300 from my husband to start a cottage <laughs> industry, <laughs> and um, he always jokes that that was the best $300 um, he ever invented, <laughs> um, because, and they did pay him back. <laughs> so, anyway, but um, I just, I, I've always been really passionate about children's books, and what um, happens is when I'm passionate about something, I have a tendency, this very, this very destructive tendency to talk other people into it. Yeah. So my friends all wanted the books that I was talking about, and one thing sort of led to another, and um, that, you know, everyone's book budgets um, tend to grow after they've spent some time with me, so um, I um, just got passionate about children's literature and started really researching it. I would go to the library with Honey for a Child's Heart and mm-hmm. books children love in hand and bring home stacks of books, and that was how I started homeschooling, and, uh, and, and I was especially inspired by Susan Schaefer Macaulay's book, For the Children's Sake. And that's what mm-hmm. really sort of set me on the path yeah. of yeah. doing the Charlotte Mason approach, doing, you know, living books. So yeah. that was yeah. how it all started in 1984. Yeah. 
So uh, what was your education like? Were you raised with, with good literature and, and whole books? No, I really wasn't. I wasn't really read to as a child, and I wasn't, um, I wasn't taken to the library much, and I just, but I love to read, and I have, mm-hmm. you know, those childhood memories of, you know, sort of pulling the covers over my head at night with a flashlight into the covers and reading. Yeah. We had a few old books in our house, and I remember just being enchanted by the power of words and how yeah. words made me feel and how they resonated with my heart and, yeah. So I, words just have a magic to me, and, and yeah. that started at a very young age. Yeah. Well, I my mother was a um, avid reader. She loved books, and her father did as well. But she was raised in a family where her mom thought books were the work of the devil. They messed up, <laughs> oh, you know, they they messed up a room, so she didn't like to have them around. So oh, it was goodness. almost a, a battle between her parents as to you know how do we get these books and hang on to them so that we can read them. But my mom never read to me, and. Mm. That that sort of brings me to, because I love to read. I love to read out loud. And so I've always read to my children. And my husband and I read to each other now. And we just love this, this, you know, sort of hearing the written word is just wonderful. So what what about these parents, though, who don't feel confident about reading out loud to their children? Like my mother never... She just wouldn't read out loud. She said, I can't read out loud. And she didn't even try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I think that's the beauty of children. They come to us in this very, very, you know, infant form. And mm-hmm. and we can start reading to our children when they are infants. When they mm-hmm. are, I mean, we can start reading to them when they're in utero, for heaven's sakes. And, yeah. and, of course, any child that's born after the first child is more than likely being read to in utero because you're reading to your little ones. You're reading mm-hmm. the bedtime stories. And I think that's the beauty of children's li- literature is that um, it's, you start very young. Mm-hmm. And those books, you know, when you're reading Winnie the Pooh and you're reading, you know, Mother Goose stories and you're reading fairy tales to your children, that is not intimidating. I, I think even for the most intimidated person, that is a great place to start. And and really, it's the power of the books themselves. Mm-hmm. We are sitting there sort of lording it over our children and their developing minds we are learning along with them. And we're mm-hmm. sitting there reading these books that just take us to another place and another time and help us see through another's eyes and walk in their shoes. And I think that's what we have to trust in. It's the power of the, the literature. It isn't about our ability or inability. The books will take us to that place. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, a book, I think, is a very active, um, you know, when you're reading a book, you, you have to engage your imagination. The, mm-hmm. the words can do a lot for you. But when you're reading children's books, yes, you've got pictures there that kind of help you see what's going on. But in a, even in a simple chapter book, there's not that depth of description like Dickens, for example. So you've got right. to use imagination. And uh, give us some ideas how we can draw children out and get them to ask questions instead of constantly asking them the questions and get them to see that these words are drawing pictures for them. 
Well, I think that's, I think that's the beauty of what Charlotte Mason sort of teaches us how to do. And she talks about, you know, just not um, peppering the children with questions, but really allowing the story to speak for itself. And then asking those sort of open-ended questions like, well, how does that make you feel? Mm. You know, literature has that power to speak to, you know, our innermost heart. And I think if we're quiet enough and and long enough, mm. our children will begin to respond to the stories. And if we ask those open-ended questions like, well, what do you think is going to happen next? Or, mm. you know, how did that make you feel when this happened? That will help our child engage with the literature. And then I think... You know, something that I learned in graduate school, because, of course, you know, we, we sort of live in that PC culture. There are no wrong answers when you're talking about literature, and that's sort of important when you're dealing with children, too. I think the best way to squash our children and sort of squelch their natural curiosity and their natural ability to respond is to say, oh, no, that's not right. That's not what happened in the story. Um, a much better way to respond is, oh, I didn't see it that way. So mm, tell me what mm. made you feel that way. Mm. Um, oh, I'm so glad you shared that because I wouldn't have seen it that way. And that was certainly something I, you know, learned in graduate school is that when you're sitting around a room with 20 other students, you're all reading the same work of literature, but there are 20 different responses to that exact piece. And yeah. that's the beauty of it. And that we have to sort of allow that freedom in our family to... And I mean, yeah. you know, the Bible certainly teaches us that. You know, yeah, there, absolutely. There's um, so many different ways the Word of God speaks to us and speaks to our particular situation and, you know, what our particular struggle, our particular triumph. And so that, you know, that just shows us that literature is, is so broad and it, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it just speaks to all those universal emotions of the human heart. Mm-hmm. And our children are going to have their own particular perspective. And that's, something we really want to nurture in them and especially um how you're feeling at that particular time as well because we Mm -hmm. know that when we pick up the bible we might have read the same verse over and over again but sometimes it you go gosh i never noticed that before but that really is speaking to how i'm feeling at the moment so and and our children can do the same thing with with books that I didn't even realize that happened because to be honest I I would read a book and I would think okay I'm going to get my I'm going to get myself into the the characters under the character's skin or try and decide you know which way the author is trying to direct me and how they feel and I'd get lost in it and so it really wouldn't matter how I felt I it it brought me out of however I felt and I would get lost in it but now when I read a book, it does. I, I, I do notice more. I notice more. It's funny. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you think you think you're going to come to a point in your life where you're complete, <laughs> you're finished. You're not going to be learning anymore. And you just <laughs> keep going. You know, it just never ends. <laughs> oh, it's so true. You know, I just read a book called Lost Names by Richard Kim, which is a I, really one of the most amazing books I've ever read in my life. And I, I read it for the fifth time here this summer for a literature soiree that I was having. And, and you know, 
I saw things in that book, I, and this is the fifth time I'd read it, I saw things in that book this time that I hadn't seen in the first time or the second time or the third yeah. time. And that is such a powerful aspect of literature. I mean, I, you know, I appreciated it so much after I read it the first time. It's like, this is such a beautiful book. This just speaks to my soul in such a powerful way. And, you know, and then I had different, you know, iterations of that. The more times I read it, but now this time, this fifth time, I, I, my appreciation for it is just that much yeah. greater. And I think that's what, how C.S. Lewis describes a good book. You know, it's mm-hmm. a book that you would never consider just reading one. You have to go back. Oh, right. You have that's... to read it again and again. Fabulous. Well, um, Rhea, we have to go on our first break, and we'll okay. be back just after this really short break to continue our, our talk with Rhea Berg. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mobile is the future, and the future is now. Listen in each week, Tuesdays, 4 to 5 Central, to Brilliant Mobile Marketing with your host, Mobile Mary, as we simplify the hottest marketing channel, Mobile Marketing, and share secrets on how you can use mobile to be more brilliant, be more profitable, and have more fun in your industry. Join us each week to learn from brilliant business leaders on how to simply and easily capture a list of raving fans and turn them into loyal customers. This show will help business owners, authors, and speakers realize their own brilliance by tapping into the insights of fellow brilliant business leaders. We will also showcase brilliant tools, both traditional and digital, that will make you more brilliant in everything you do. Don't miss your date with Brilliant Mobile Marketing and your host, Mobile Mary, America's mobile marketing expert, as she shares her success strategies every Tuesday from 4 to 5 Central. Welcome to The Quip with Miriam Nicole Huffman, a modern woman's guide to styling her faith, family, and finances. The online radio show dedicated to today's positive, purpose-driven woman who's ready to heal her heart, her head, and her household by realigning with what she values most. If your highest values are faith, family, finances, and freedom, you're in the right place. Host Miriam Nicole Huffman is a woman on a mission. Her mess to success journey has taken her from life as an upper-middle-class stay-at-home mom to a broke single mom to living a life of joy and wholeness as she builds a thriving business while raising her healthy, happy family. Every week on The Quip, Miriam Nicole shares her love, life, legal, and lifestyle success secrets. Whether it's wisdom you're seeking, inspiration and motivation from someone who's hit rock bottom and risen to success, or you want to know how to fully align your faith, family, and finances to create more freedom for yourself, you're an Excellent hands with Miriam Nicole. Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player to the right or check our recent guests in the blog below. Got a question for Miriam Nicole? Want to be a guest on her show? Email us at thequip at miriamnicolehuffman.com. And join us every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. 
Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Rhea, just before we went on our first break, you were saying that C.S. Lewis says um, a great book is one that can't just be read once. And um, what would you say makes a great book yourself? Um, I agree with C.S. Lewis, obviously. There, must, <laughs> there have to be other elements that um, draw you to a good book. Well, I, I, I wouldn't suppose that I could come up with the best definition myself, but I do love this one by Ruth Foyer, and she was a children's author um, from the turn of the century and wrote one of the Caldecott medal winners, Honey, Honey Cake Ho, and other books. But th- this is how she describes the best children's books. She says, stories that make for wonder, stories that make for laughter, Stories that stir within with an understanding of the true nature of courage, of love, of beauty. Stories that make one tingle with high adventure, with daring, with grim determination, with the capacity of seeing danger through to the end. Stories that bring our minds to kneel in reverence. Stories that show the tenderness of true mercy, the strength of loyalty, and the unmockish respect for what is good. Mm. I love that definition because it encompasses so much, and mm-hmm. I think, I think you know, reverence is sort of one of those um, beautiful virtues in society that people don't talk about a lot. But yeah. I love that she mentions it. I love that she shows that you know there's a tenderness and true mercy, and you know, in an age of Hunger Games and. Um, Oh gosh, what's the other one? You know, insurgent and divergent, mm-hmm. where there's little reflection of true mercy and tenderness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are really important virtues that we have to sort of go back to when we talk about what truly makes fine literature. Mm-hmm. And you not, know, the, well, I was going to say, does every book have to hold all of? I mean, because I'm listening to to you say that, and some of it's high adventure. So obviously, each sure. book's going to have its own greatness. Right. Mm. Yes. And I don't think any story could ever encompass all of those at once. Mm. But I think there's intimations and reflections of all of those things in in the best books. Mm. And and I love um, G.K. Chesterton's um, definition, too, of what you know, what, why, why, like, why fairy tales are true. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's a whole body of people that don't like fairy tales that think, you know, that this is, you know, about magic and, and not about truth and reality and sort of the hard cold facts. But, mm-hmm. you know, G.K. Chesterton says fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Mm-hmm. 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 And that's just, you know, that's that's the beauty of the best books is they tell us that dragons can be beaten because we yeah. all have dragons in our lives. Every yeah. single one of us has yeah. dragons in our lives. And yeah. we have to live with that focus that, you know, through the power of Christ in us, we can slay those dragons and we yeah. can have victory. And that's what the whole story of life is about, right? 
Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And also, I do know some people who will not read anything that's fantasy, um, yeah. science fiction, or. And I think to myself, well, you know, it's a way of it's a way of telling the truth. It's a way of looking at reality. It's just um, another way. You know, it's like reading a poem instead of reading prose. You know, you read a fairy tale because there are, you can find truths and you can find reverence and tenderness in these fairy tales too. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's the beauty of fairy tales. And especially, I know uh, Bruno Bettelheim, who's written really the definitive work on fairy tales, says that fairy tales are really critical for the moral development of a child because mm-hmm. in a fairy tale, in the end, good is rewarded and evil is punished. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you and I, Vivian, know that that's not real life, right? Yeah, it's not no. real life that the good are always rewarded. In fact, in the world we live in, most often the good aren't rewarded. And evil is not often, you know, always punished. I mean, you know, Shakespeare says the truth will out, and often, you know, the truth will come out, but it may not come out in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And it it Mm -hmm. may not be, you know, um, evil may not be punished in our lifetimes. But we know that in the true reality, the larger reality, the meta-narrative, the transcendent truth, is that good will be rewarded. Mm-hmm. And evil will be punished mm-hmm. in the eternal realm, and so mm-hmm. that's why fairy tales are important mm-hmm. to in, mm-hmm. you know integrate that truth into the very young child so that they can live with hope, and that you know no matter what dragons they have to face in this life, that in the end evil will be punished and good will be rewarded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any more any more wonderful quotes about what makes a great book? <laughs> oh well, you know, I do I do love um thinking about the books that formed the character of many of the great men and women, you know, that really impacted history. You know, you think mm-hmm. of Abraham Lincoln and you know, Abraham Lincoln only had one year of formal education. Mm-hmm. And I mean it's so funny because we wouldn't even consider the one year he had in a blab school. I mean, a blab school was one of these, you know, prairie log cabin schoolhouses that they would memorize passages, they'd memorize their multiplication tables, they'd memorize grammar rules, and then they would go and blab them. That's why they were called mm-hmm. blab schools. And mm-hmm. and he had one year of that, mm-hmm. and that was the sum total of his formal education. But the beauty of that is that, you know, he wasn't corrupted by, you know, sort of the destructive elements of that, you know, that can occur in the classroom. And he became, you know, a self-directed learner and he was passionate about books. He, he, but he, he only had very limited access to books, especially as a young person. I mean, there really only were like about five books that he had access to as a young man. And that was the Bible, the plays of Shakespeare, uh, Robinson Crusoe's Daniel Defoe, uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and Wayne's Life of Washington, which was a very popular biography mm-hmm. on the life of George Washington. Mm-hmm. And he read those books so faithfully that, that, I mean, he literally memorized large passages of them. He just committed them to memory. And that formed, you know, partly formed who he became. And... um you know, uh, Professor Whitehead wrote a, uh, an amazing spiritual biography of 
Lincoln, and in that book he says, you know, his lack of formal education was really balanced by this habitual vision of greatness. When you think of the books that really formed his early character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were pretty profound works. And, yeah. I mean, even the very, you know, that last, um, that last voyage he took when he was turning from Richmond at the end of the Civil War, and he is reciting long passages of Shakespeare to his staff and to his wife as they, you know, steam paddled up the Potomac back to Washington, D.C. And those, you know, those passages in Shakespeare just resonated so deeply with him and formed him that, you know, so many of his works are sort of considered a modest, you know, American scripture or American Shakespeare because they're so profound and so poignant mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, they're so um, rich with meaning. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the power of literature is it, it has that ability to form us into those kinds of people. And um, but it's a challenge in this day and age for sure when we have so many distractions. Well, we do have a lot of distractions, and I was going to come to that because a lot of times children, the only time they read is while they're at school, in in the school years, and they're required to read maybe four books a year perhaps, and that's it, and they don't really enjoy it because nobody has taken the time to show them how delightful the literature is, or maybe the books aren't that brilliant, although I think some of the schools do try to make those four books, at least some some um, yeah. mighty, mighty books or weighty books, perhaps. Um, so there are so many other ways that our children can be entertained or distracted. A book is no longer, you know, the only way that you can lose yourself today. And so right. how can, as, as homeschooling parents, of course, we're, we're blessed that we are able to direct our children um, towards this, this kind of classical education. But what about, uh, you know, what about these children that are maybe going to become parents and want to follow that path of classical literature for their child that they didn't have, perhaps? Mm-hmm. You know, it, your thoughts. Well, I think, you know, starting as a young parent, it's just so important to begin reading to our children when they're little and, and, and really developing their palate for the best books. And I think, you know, that's one of the really amazing, you know, graces we're given as young parents is we have these captive audiences. And so we can really expose our children to the best books and develop that palette for what is truly noble and beautiful and lovely and filled with grace. And that will carry them. I really believe that. And I've seen that in my adult children. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're all readers. They love to read. And we talk about literature a lot with our adult children because they were raised on good books and they Mm -hmm. know what a good book is Mm -hmm. and they know the kind of books that they keep coming back to because they speak to those issues mm-hmm. of the human heart. And so I think that's, that's really critical. And of course, I would have to say myself that, you know, I am such an avid reader because that's what I did as a young mother. Mm-hmm. I read and read and read to my children. And that created that, you know, that whole other dimension of me as a person and really my husband. I mean, we, we determined right when we got married that we wouldn't have television. 
And I think, you know, that was the big distraction, you know, in yeah, our day and age. Yeah, and of course, yeah. now it's not television it's so much as, as, you know, it's the Internet and it's the yeah. iPhone yeah. and social well, media. Ria, we have to go on a really quick break. Can you come back just for okay. a few minutes and we'll finish up? Thank you. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Jirasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Information about book publishing is power, the power to change your authoring life, and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing, Everything You Want to Know But Didn't Know What to Ask, with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific, you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Riles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. And Ria, as we were finishing um, just before the last break, you were saying that um, as a young mother, you read a lot to your children. And, you know, my children don't read a lot now, but they still have these wonderful memories of the books that I did read to them. So I know that, you know, they'll go into a library or they come to my house when I have all my books um, in a shelf. They're in a box in a storage unit right now, but they would come <laughs> and they would go, oh, I remember this and I remember that. And the look on their faces, you know, so even if mm-hmm. they're not, currently reading they have that wonderful memory and eventually they'll go back to that yes i believe they will i Mm. believe they will because there's just something about opening the pages of a book and in fact we were we were just um doing a little bit of traveling and we walk and we always go into bookstores when we're traveling we just Mm. can't avoid them we're like magnets to them and there was a 
uh, a quote in this bookstore, and I loved it because it's so true to our culture. Reading is a defiant stance against the age of distraction in which Mm. we live. Mm. And you think about what it means in this day and age when there's so much vying for our attention to actually get away with a book and open mm-hmm. the page with a book mm-hmm. and just read. And I think it's it's such a powerful act of defiance against a culture mm-hmm. that is so distracted and so, you know, just, I don't know what the word is right now, it, but, it you know, we, we've got to make that conscious choice. And I think if we, as mothers, if we're doing that with our children, we will create lifelong readers. Mm-hmm. I know... Um, the Reading at Risk survey, which was uh, done back in 2002, 12 years ago now, um, by um, the, the National, Na- National Endowment for the Arts, you know, came up with some really sobering statistics that, you know, less than half of the adult American population now reads literature. Mm-hmm. And that is just so sobering because it really is that literacy that makes us a civil society. Mm. And if, you know, once we let go of that literacy, we will become a nation of barbarians. There's no question about it. Mm. I mean, you look at the most barbaric cultures, you know, on the planet today, and they have, what, 60, 70% illiteracy. Mm. And, you know, Mark Twain said, the man who doesn't read has no advantage over the man who can't. Yeah. That is, you know, that is the direction we're heading when we think that less than half of the adult American population, you know, picks up a book and reads. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I think that statistic is particularly true with young men. I think the statistic is that only four out of ten uh, young men in America will ever pick up a book and read it again after high school. Mm-hmm. And that just, yeah. you know, that just breaks your heart yeah. because, you know, those men are, you know, the future of this country and they're, you know, they're leading this nation and, you know, they're addicted to sports and the Internet and, you know, all the different media that they don't read. So what do you so, think about um, a Kindle? Do you have a Kindle? Yes, we do have a Kindle. And, I, you know, I mean, a Kindle is for reading, so it certainly does serve a purpose in that way. And more and more books are becoming available on the Kindle. You know, the Kindle um, has become a useful tool in our home for a child who struggles with reading. And on the Kindle, we can bump that book up to any size we want to. And that, you know, the font size can be you know, large enough so that it's not as much of a struggle. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a tool. I think um, when we do use a Kindle, we are actually reading the book aloud. We're not using it, you know, just in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, I'm usually reading it aloud or we're listening to it on tape. And, you know, with audible.com now, there's so many beautifully done audio books. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for parents that feel very intimidated by reading aloud, it's a great way to sort of jump in mm-hmm. and listen together. And you listen mm-hmm. with your child to a book that's read by a master reader, and that, you know, just makes the experience even that much richer. So I think there's lots of ways to to use technology to our benefit, but yeah. not to the exclusion of, you know, actually reading a book. Yeah. Well, living in London, of course, with public transport, you see a lot of people reading because they can while they're they're 
traveling along they can read. But with a Kindle, I used to love, you know, peeking and seeing what people were reading it would give me an idea of, you know, what's <laughs> popular or maybe a title that I hadn't heard of. But with a Kindle, right. I think this isn't fair. How can I, how can I have a look and see what you're reading if you're reading it on Kindle, you know? <laughs> but, right. you know, with That's Kindle, right. you, can carry, you can carry so many books and magazines just in a little mm-hmm. slender you know, sort yeah. of um, packet that it is. It is a very, very useful tool when you're when you're traveling a lot. But no, I don't think anything for me anyway will replace the feel of a book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, and you say that you you look at you look for old books as well. So that's interesting. You go into old bookshops and look at you know older books that are perhaps out of print. That's that's wonderful. And you put those tell us about your how to go to your website and how we can find you. Our website is um bfbooks.com, B as in boy, F as in Frank, books.com. <laughs> and we have a blog that my daughter writes and she's a wonderful writer and she's very uh very connected with you know, the latest research on reading and education. So that's a wonderful blog to visit, which you can visit right from our website. Mm-hmm. And then I also blog. My blog is um, really devoted primarily to children's li- literature, and that's com. Okay. And I have both of those um, sites list, um linked on my page at Toginet and on my website too. So Ria, we've come to the end of our time together. I've been talking to Ria Berg, who founded Beautiful Feet Books in 1984 to provide quality literature to the homeschooling market. And she's been part of the homeschooling community for 25 years. And she spoke to us today about the joy of discovering the world through literature. And she's a regular contributor to the Old Schoolhouse magazine and with articles focusing on literature-based history studies, which we didn't talk about history, actually, Charlotte Mason Education and Children's Literature. You can find her company at bfbooks.com and she blogs at riaberg.com and I've got both of those linked, as I said, on my front page of both my show and uh, my website. I strongly encourage you to find out more about her work and discover some long-lost children's classics that you can share with your family. Ria, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I had a delightful conversation with you and say thank you to your son Josh he was the one that got us connected so I thank will you I will well thank you Vivian it's been delightful chatting right. with you all right you have a safe weekend you too bye bye well, last week I spoke to Sonia Schaefer and we, we spoke about um, her website, which was simply Charlotte Mason, about the intrinsic value of the child as an individual. And as a homeschooling mother and lover of books, I found out about the work of Charlotte Mason, rather like Rhea Berg was um, talking about just now, in a book by Susan Schaefer Macaulay, For the Children's Sake, where she revitalized um, Charlotte Mason and shaped the grassroots of the home education movement as it emerged in the early 1980s, which was when both of us were beginning to homeschool our children, or at least to have our children, not necessarily homeschool them on my part. While Charlotte Mason and Susan McCauley's vision and impact is very difficult to quantify, I think there are three very distinct ways in which these two women impacted the education of hundreds of thousands of young children, and by extension, of course, their parents. The first was a call to a sense of the intrinsic value of the child as an individual. Charlotte was childless. 
herself, but she was a great observer of young people. And she stated that children are born persons and challenged parents and children to really get to know and study and respect the children God has put into their lives. And next, we were encouraged to cherish the minds of children and to enjoy sharing the good things of life with their eager minds. And Charlotte Mason dealt with them on an eye-to-eye level. She delighted in introducing them to all aspects of reality with a positive joy. And lastly, each child has a separate individuality that needs to be drawn out and nurtured And when I was just embarking on my homeschooling journey, these thoughts impressed me. I was a busy young mum with four little ones under six, never having seen this kind of parenting modelled growing up. There was a motto that children should be seen and not heard. I hung on to every word and laboured to implement delight and joy into my mothering and the education of my four children. And I learned to see my little ones with an eye to their individual gifts and intrinsic uniqueness. Mason and Macaulay taught me how to love my children better and how to relish the gift of life expressed through each of them and um, Macaulay in her book um, pleaded where are the friends and lovers of children who will open up the wonderful windows into the whole of reality and let their capable minds be stimulated I knew that I was the one that could do that for my children Mason and Macaulay gave me a vision of nurturing motherhood that was fresh challenging and consistent with a biblical worldview And it required energy, passion, intelligence, and devotion. And we're still doing it today. Only my children have joined the journey and they share what they see with us. And it's it's becoming, you know, really lovely and wonderful. And um, on Monday, it's Funyun Day, which means that that was the day that my oldest son was due the 30th of September and when he got a little bit older he would say well I think I should get a gift on my due date and so I went out and bought him a small bag of Funyuns because he loved those as a treat and that has become a tradition and so wherever we are in the world we arrange to have Funyuns sent to him and he's in LA at the moment so we have arranged for something and I don't know I don't think he suspects from whence the Funyuns are going to come but he'll be surprised on Monday and that's all I have for this week we're off house again and have decided to move into an apartment to give us some breathing space and reacquaint ourselves with our furniture and um, but that doesn't happen until the middle of November so we've got six more weeks of hotel living I'm going to go for a walk and I I have a walk that I enjoy through a pathway over bridges but sometimes it's a little bit dark and a little bit remote so I walk in the surrounding neighborhood and um, there are a lot of dog walkers along there and they all chat to me and talk to me about their dogs and I'll snatch some time for my book it's taking longer than I thought with all the interruptions thank you one and all for listening to Sociable Homeschooler I'm your host Vivian McNenny and I'll be back same time same place next Friday without further ado I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight our four children who are the result of that belief the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio my producer Casey thank you and Rhea Berg um my guest this week go forth in peace for you have followed the good road go forth without fear for he who created you has sanctified you has always protected you and loves you as a mother blessed be god for having created us doop 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 be safe
Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney 